Let's join our hearts together as we look at God's scripture. Today we'll be looking at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 and 10 through 13. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited and more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or, again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the works of your hand. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will have to roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Amen. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father, uh, simply to speak your name is praise. God, we are amazed uh, that we have the privilege of knowing you, the privilege of worshiping you. God, we don't want to take it for granted uh, that you have spoken in such a way that we, we get to know you and we get to hear your voice. We get to follow you. We get to know you for who you truly are. God, we don't have to guess at your nature. We don't have to guess or go on our uh, own gut or our own logic to try to figure you out. God, you've, you've spoken to us. And so we come, Lord, submitting to your word and submitting to your will. Lord, may your word uh, through the book of Hebrews that you recorded for us thousands of years ago, may your word be, uh, even as Hebrews says, may it be living and active. May it be sharper than any two-edged sword. May it, may it pierce our hearts and and deeper, even to the soul, into the marrow of who we are, to our very core, God, revealing where we are worshiping something other than you, where we are falling short of living up to your standards. God, may all our hearts be exposed to you today by your word, and may that same word bring healing and comfort and strength, and may our eyes be lifted up to see your glory for who you are. Lord, bless this church, bless your word all across the world, world as it's being preached and proclaimed, has already been proclaimed today, will be proclaimed later today, and may your word accomplish all that you intend for it to accomplish. Lord, we love you, and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I wonder this morning if you wish that God would speak to you. Anybody ever had that desire? Just begging, begging, pleading asking, God, please, will you speak to me? Maybe if you are an unbeliever or just if you're not especially desperate or just not especially 
uh, in a tough spot or just don't think about God much. Maybe that's not a question you've asked. Maybe you've never really kind of thought that before of, of asking God to speak to you. But I imagine for many of us, uh, we have in one time or season or another just been like, God, I, I wish I could, just, I could just hear you, that you would show up, that you'd give me a sign, that you would speak somehow, that you would communicate to me in this moment. I, I imagine many of us uh, have faced that, maybe especially when we get uh, a little frustrated and we feel like, okay, God, I, I need you to show up. Or maybe it's not just a little, maybe we're a lot frustrated and we're asking God to show up. And we want him just to be clear, to be clear. And, and there are other times, or at least maybe you're one of these people, or at least have heard of these kind of people, where it seems like all the time they've, they've got a story about how God spoke to them in, in a certain moment or certain situation. And, and if you're not one of those people and you, and you hear somebody tell those kind of stories, it, you, you kind of want to you know, give them a thumbs up. And then you're kind of like, God, how come you don't speak to me that way? Like, how come you're always talking to them? And and I, and I never hear you like that. And it, those people's stories kind of make you frustrated because you want to be somebody who hears from God. I, I, I wonder if you've wrestled with that. Does God speak at all? Does God speak to me if he speaks at all? In Hebrews 1, before it even really gets to kind of where we're going and where this series is going to head, it, it, it kind of answers that. And I think it's a, before we even dive very far in, I think it's important to start where it starts because it says something really profound Right at the beginning, it says, Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke. God spoke. So before we even go any further, we could say God is a God who speaks. He is a God who communicates. And we know that from His very nature, very core of who He is. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. We describe that as a trinity. God is not a, a solo person God. He has always been three in one. And so he has always been in relationship within himself. So he has always communicated. So even before Genesis 1, when God spoke the world into being, that was just the continuation of who he is. God is a God who speaks. So we know God does speak. And in the Old Testament times, this is how it describes the way he speaks. He speaks, it says, he spoke in the Old Testament times in many times and in many ways. You read through your Old Testament and God is a generous God who speaks in all kinds of different fashions. He spoke to Jacob through a vision of, uh, of angels ascending and descending like on a ladder between earth and heaven. He spoke to Joseph in dreams to interpret how things were going to happen in the future. He spoke to Moses in a bush that was on fire and yet not burning up. He spoke to the nation of Israel with a cloud of smoke and lightning on the top of a mountain, and he spoke to Elijah with a still, small voice. God is not limited to one, one method or fashion. He, he's, he's, he's like the, the, the sower in the parable that Jesus tells uh, of the sower who casts his seed. That sower is not so stingy that he carefully places one seed upon, upon where it needs to go. He, he gives all the different kinds of soil the opportunity. He is a generous sower. The hard soil, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, and the good soil all get seeds scattered about. And he said, that's the word of God going out. God, God is generous. He's spoken many times and in many ways. And it says he spoke by the prophets or in the prophets. So God spoke to a, to a group of people throughout history to so that his word would then be multiplied throughout the nation and even down to us today. So yes, God does speak. And he's spoken all kinds of different ways in the Old Testament. And that same word by God's gracious providence is preserved for you in over, over two-thirds of your Bible. It's all recorded and written down 
So even though it was written thousands of years ago and God spoke thousands of years ago in those ways, even we today have that. So God, does God speak? Absolutely. And God has spoken in incredible ways. And so you may be thinking, that's great, but um, that didn't really answer the question I was asking. The beginning, I want God to speak to me. That's great for Moses, great for Elijah, great for all those people back there. But what about me today? Maybe you've even thought, like I have, when I read the stories, like how great it would have been to be back in the Old Testament. I mean, how incredible would it have been to be one, you know, Moses' sidekick or something, somebody out there with him, and watch the Red Sea part. I'm like, wow, how incredible would that have moment? How, how amazing would it have been to be one of the trumpet players who marched around Jericho with Joshua as they're coming into the promised land, and they didn't have to lift a sword, they didn't have a battering ram, they just blew trumpets and walked in circles and the walls fell down. Like being there, that would have been incredible. How amazing it would have been to have been one of the Israelites, even, even though you were shaking in your boots, to watch little David walk out and defeat the giant Goliath. How incredible would it have been to be one of the people, maybe one of the, the, the king's messengers, when they pulled back the rock and da- Daniel comes out of the lion's den without a scratch on him. How awesome would any of those moments have been where you could say, surely nobody could deny God, because look at how he has spoken to his people. Look at his power. Look at his majesty. This is God, and He has spoken. And it would have been awesome to be there. If we'd have been there, that would have been pretty incredible. But I I, I want to bring you back to Hebrews 1 and and realize something else that goes on here. You see, in verse 2, we we realize that all those people, Moses, David, Daniel, Ruth, Joshua, anybody else in that group in the Old Testament, they would have rather been where you are today. Do you know that? We look back and we read their stories and we think it's incredible the way that God spoke in many times and in many ways through the prophets and to see His voice and His power and so many things. And yet, today is even better. Verse 2, But in, those, in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. You know, Moses and David and Daniel and Ruth and Naomi and all those people, you know what they didn't have? They didn't have a picture. They, they, they knew about a prophesied Messiah. They knew about what God had promised. But they did not know about the cross. They did not know about the Son of God coming in the flesh and taking on all of our sin and dying in our place. They did not fully understand the gospel. And so all those people, though they're with God now, so they're not sinning by being jealous. They, if they could sin, they'd be jealous of you. Because you and I are in a better place than they are. So that leads me back to that original question. Does God speak today? Absolutely. Do you know how He has primarily spoken? He has primarily spoken through His Son. That is how God has chosen to speak to this generation. It says in the the last days, and you may hear that and think, is that talking about the end of times? What is that talking about? What it's talking about is the entire period of history between Jesus' resurrection and Christ coming back. This is the final age, the final period of history where, where God, everything that God has done and needed to do for salvation has been revealed, and so we don't need to understand anything else. He has given us His Son. He has given us everything we need to know. God has spoken, and He spoke through His Son, Jesus Christ. The one true God is not a silent God. He has spoken, and He has made Himself known, and He has spoken through His Son, Jesus. So I, I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you're desperate and you're crying out asking for God to speak. 
I don't know if that's where he used to be and now you've kind of just given up on him. Or maybe in the future you're at some point going to cry out to God. But if you're looking for God to speak, this is where the God, where the God of the Bible primarily chooses to speak. He primarily chooses to speak through His Son. So the, the first message in the book of Hebrews, before it even dives into really where it's going, is it, it wants to kind of calculate you, wherever, wherever you are, wherever it's going, He wants to kind of hone you in on the subject for the matter, subject of the matter, to, to get you in the right direction. And if, if you want to hear the voice of God, and so I want you to hear it today, if you want to hear the voice of God, then worship the Son of God. If you want to hear the voice of God, if you want God speaking into your life on a regular basis, if you want God directing your will to be in line with His will, then do this. Worship the Son of God. That is how you hear the voice of God, is by worshiping the Son of God. If we go through life dependent upon and, and, and asking God all the time for and, and acting like God's not here if, unless He shows you a new sign or a new way. He, he has total freedom to do whatever He wants. He's God. But if we, if we are dependent upon that, what we're saying is that, yeah, Jesus was great, but not enough. Yeah, what you did on the cross, you had the empty tomb, woohoo! but I need you to show up more, God. It's selfish of us. It's ignorant of us to say that wasn't enough that that wasn't enough. We come to the Word of God and we let God speak to us how He has chosen to speak and He speaks primarily through His Son. If you want to hear the voice of God, then worship the Son of God. Hebrews starts there because what the rest of the book of Hebrews is, is all about that Son. He wants you to, to hone in whatever else you're thinking about, whatever else you're focused on, and we'll get to, to more of the context of Hebrews as we go through it. But, but he says, this is, this is what I want to hone you in on. I want to hone you in on the Son of God. And that first verse and a half is the way it takes to get to the Son of God. It takes a verse and then half another one. And he's going to spend the rest of the book, 13 chapters, all about that Son. The primary reason I, I want to bring you to the book of Hebrews this fall is for that very reason. You see, I, I think for us in 2021, whatever situations you're in, you, you, we've, we've got a lot of needs, don't we? We, we, we are needy people. Like, whether we want to be or not, we are, we are needy people. We, we, we have needs of more time and more money and more peace. We need less stress and less drama and fewer bills to pay. We need more joy, more satisfaction, more freedom. But above all those needs, you know what we need? We need Jesus. We need Jesus. I, I, I'm convinced that, that our, our practically-minded selves and, and kind of blind selves many times elevates other needs and says, if I just had this, then I'll be happy. But all throughout the Bible, it elevates the Son of God. and says, if you have this, if you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all else will be added. If you have Jesus, if you focus your heart there, then we'll trust Him to handle all the other things. So many times we get focused on the, the, the practical things of the world that we, we, we forget what is truly important. So what I want to do this fall, just using the Word of God, just coming to it and exposing what it says, walking verse by verse through Hebrews, is we just, we just want to hold up Jesus to you. We just want to let the Word of God hold Jesus up to you and say, let's, let's focus our hearts and our minds and our attention there and, and trust God to, to do what He wants in, in our lives. Let's hold up, let's exalt Christ and let Him take care of everything else. It's, it's no surprise that when you come to the Bible, sometimes people, when they're maybe kind of new to the Bible, or even not, when you come to the Bible, sometimes you get frustrated reading it because you're like, hey, how does this apply to me? And it's a little bit shocking when we have to tell people, hey, the, 
the Bible's not primarily about you. <laughs> In the beginning, God. The Bible is about God. And yet so many times when we come to the Bible, the person we want to talk about most is us. We want to talk about me and myself and my needs and my desires and my wants. But the Bible, you know who the Bible wants to talk about? The Savior of the world, Jesus. And so it's no surprise that, that we should, it, it, it shouldn't be a surprise to us, that we need to spend more of our time talking about Jesus than talking about us. That's hard for many of us. I am my own favorite subject to talk about too. I like talking about myself, unfortunately. But this fall, I'm inviting you to dig in and focus on something else. Something far greater than you or me. Focus on Jesus. The point of Hebrews over and over again, you could do a word search even before you dive in too far on the word better in the book of Hebrews. Because over and over again, this is what, what Hebrews is going to tell you. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And it's clear. One of, the, one of the books of the Bible that has the most clear central point. If you search what other people preach when they preach Hebrews, my job is not originality. My, my job is truth. And so over and over again, people preach Hebrews, they get the, the, the clear, clear theme. Jesus is better. Better than all the stuff of this world, better than all the things of the Old Testament. They were all pointing to him. And so that's what we want to lift up. That's what we want to focus our heart on is on Jesus. I, I want you to hear God speak clearly in his word. And the way we do that is by worshiping Jesus. So I've given you just five things uh, in your bulletin there that we'll fill out that all point to who Jesus is and what he has done. So Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, continues by saying, But in these last days, this final period, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed as the heir of all things, and through whom He created the world. In other words, the universe starts and begins with Jesus. The universe starts and begins with Jesus. It actually, the word here puts the, the air of all things. That's the first thing. That's talking about the, the where, where creation is going. All creation, what we're going to see at the end of all times is that all heaven and earth, all the galaxies, all of it is a gift that the Father is giving to the Son. The Son of God will inherit the entire universe as a present of this redeemed world that the Son will inherit from the Father at the end of all things. The Son will receive this gift. And so as crazy as the world seems at all the time, not sometimes, all the time, the world seems crazy, but yet we can look back and say God is in control because He is shaping this world and molding this world to be a present to the Son of God. It's going to be a gift at the end of all times. He's the recipient of the universe, the heir. He's going to inherit it. But He's not just there at the end. He was also there at the beginning. It says that all things were created through him, that through him all, uh, he also created the world. We know John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And verse 3 says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that has been made. God the Father created the whole world, and he did it through God the Son. Sometimes when we think of Jesus, we think of uh, him being born in a manger, living some 30-odd years, and then going and chilling in heaven, peace with God. Like, that was it. 30 years and we're done. And we forget that Jesus has always existed. From the very beginning of time, God the Son has always been in relationship with God the Father. Jesus has always been, and so He is worthy of our worship. From beginning to end, Jesus has always existed. Sometimes we can look at our world and we feel confused, like why is this happening, and it feels meaningless. And maybe, maybe you've even had times where you feel like your life 
I, I don't know the purpose of this. I don't know what's going on. I, I, I'm confused. But we can step back and we look to Jesus. When we lift our eyes on, to Jesus, we can look at this and say, Jesus, the whole world was created through him, and he's the heir of all things. And so it's got purpose. It's got meaning. It's got value. It's no surprise that it doesn't always make sense to us. But it, we can trust God that he's the beginning, he's the end. He has a plan, and he is working it for his purpose and for his goal. Verse 3 continues, his He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. So we talked first about where the universe starts and ends, but then let's get to, to who Jesus is. Who Jesus is, he is fully God radiating to us. Fully God radiating to us. These are two powerful descriptions of who Jesus is. That, the word for the exact imprint comes from, uh, in the ancient culture, the way a, a, a king would have a, a special ring, a signet ring that was unique to him. And so that ring, only he had that ring. And he would take a document that was really important and he'd put a piece of, a little bit of wax over it. And then while it was still warm and hot, he would use his signet ring to make an exact imprint of that ring onto the paper. And so now that paper has the authority of the king himself because it's an exact imprint of the ring that, that the only the king has. So it's a picture of something that's identical. It's identical to something else. The exact imprint. So when it describes Jesus that way, he is the exact imprint of God. In John 14, one of Jesus's uh, more, uh, we'll say, slow, his slower disciples named Philip, uh, he said this. Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And by itself, that seems like a holy request, doesn't it? Just, ju just show us the Father. Of course, Jesus rightly rebukes him. And he says, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. If you have seen Jesus, if you know Jesus, if you're in relationship with Jesus, you know God himself. He is the exact imprint of his nature. As Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God. Do, do, you, do you know what, what God's character is like? Do you know what God's nature is like? The primary way we know that is by studying Jesus, by knowing Jesus, being in relationship with Jesus. But that, the wax seal metaphor could, could be a little bit misleading, and so that's why there's another phrase paired right here with it, because it, a, a wax seal isn't the, the ring that it came from. And so the, this, own, this one verse balances it out uh, when it talks about the radiance of the glory of God. And that's a picture of the light, like, similar to the way light goes forth from the sun. The, the sun never exists without light. There's no such thing as the sun without light coming from it. If the sun didn't have light coming from it, it wouldn't be the sun. And so it is with God the Father and God the Son. The Son has always proceeded from the Father. There has never been a time when the Father was and the Son wasn't. He is God the Father on display for the world. He is showing God to the world. That's God the Son's job. He is the exact imprint of God and He is radiating out. You want to know God? Get to know Jesus. That's who He is at His very nature. He is worthy of our worship because He is God. That was, that was hard for the first generation of, of Christians to follow, right? Because He looked like a man. He was a man, fully man. And the first generations of Christians had a hard time getting around their head around how God could be a man. Sometimes we have the opposite problem. We think of him as God. We forget he was fully a man, but he is both. Fully God and fully man. And he is worthy of our worship. 
God has taken great lengths to show himself to us by sending his own son so that we can know God, we can be in relationship with him, we can listen to him. The question is, are you listening? (laughs) Are you listening to God? I had a conversation yesterday with another dad at a birthday party. I've probably had the same conversation a dozen times or more when I say, yeah, my wife's a Spanish teacher. All the time people say, man, I wish I'd have paid attention to Spanish when I was in high school because now I could use it all the time, right? All the time I have that conversation. And so people think back and they go, man, if if I'd have only known the opportunity that was in front of me, I would have taken advantage of it. Spanish, something so functional and useful for your life was right in front of you. Did you take advantage of it? How much greater of a reality check do we need to have to say God is speaking to us? He has given us his word. God has sent his son so that we can know him. Don't miss the opportunity. God has taken great lengths to speak to us if we'll only listen. There's a, a, a kind of non-Christian but semi-God-sounding uh, faith called deism, or people who are deist, who, who picture God to be like a divine watchmaker, that he, he built this incredibly intricate universe and he wound it up and then he just kind of let it go and he just let it have it do its own thing, that he doesn't interact with the world. And Hebrews 1 and all the rest of the Bible clearly debunks that, that God has spoken and not just spoken but he has sent his son to be the representation, the, the, the radiance of his glory, so that we can see him and know him and worship him. If we want to hear his voice, we worship him and we know him for who he is. That describes who Jesus is at his very nature. And the Hebrews verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 3 goes on to describe what he does. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is what Jesus does. He sustains the universe. He sustains the universe. What an awesome thing to consider. Do you, do you know why the earth, our, our, our world, the earth, is revolving in an elliptical orbit around the sun every 365.25 days? Do you know why it's going around that? Well, you say, well, it's because, uh, you know, it's, it's got the gravitational pull of the sun. Yeah, yeah, okay. But do you know why the sun has a gravitational pull on the earth in such a way that it keeps us in orbit? He said, well, yeah, because it's got this enormous mass. Yeah, 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 but do you know why all of that is happening? Because Jesus said so. (laughs) Jesus holds it together. Jesus is the one sustaining the entire universe. Do you know why your heart is beating? Do you know why your lungs work? Do you know why your kidneys are functioning your blood? Do you know why there's, there's, there's synapses going off in your brain right now? I said that word like I know what that means. I don't actually know what that means. But do you know why things happening in, in your body? It's not because you, you, you've eaten the right meal today and you've worked really hard. No, God is holding you together. God, through His Son, Jesus Christ, sustains every breath, every heartbeat, every planet, every star. The only reason any of it still exists is because Jesus is holding it together. I wonder if you, if you, if you recognize that. Or if we go through life thinking we're, we're just making things happen on our own. Colossians 1, again, verse 17, reiterates these same truths. It says, in him all things hold together. Jesus is sustaining the entire world, the entire galaxy, all the universes, all the universe, all the galaxies. He's sustaining it all by the word of his power. That, that is an incredible statement. By Jesus' word, he is sustaining everything, the entire universe. Do you remember how, how Genesis 1, I already said this once, how Genesis 1 describes how the world was created. God said, he spoke, let there be light, and there was light. He didn't have to like, 
grunt and pull. He didn't have to like uh, mix this together. Does this work? No. No. He just spoke and the world came into existence. Do you know how he's sustaining the world? How it's all being held together? His word, the word of his power. John Owen was a, a Puritan theologian and he said this about this verse. I love this. He said, by his word in creation, all things were brought forth from nothing. And by his word in sustaining, all things are preserved from returning to nothing. That's the power of God's word. When he spoke, you know, when you and I create something, we have to use other things to make it. That's how we have to create stuff. God spoke and it happened. The same thing from beginning to end. God sustains all things by the power of his word. If God's word stopped working in the world, we would just cease to exist. Just nothing. Just nothing. That's the power of his word. And by his grace, he continues to allow us. He sustains all things. All things. Maybe we, we don't believe that enough about his word. We, we go around thinking that, that everything's, the only reason why it's happening is because I'm working hard. And I'm holding this world together. And I'm holding this family together. And I'm holding my job together. And I'm, I'm, I'm doing all this. You know what that leads to? Thinking we're God. And we're not. You know what's going to happen tomorrow if you get a flat tire and you're late to work? The earth's going to keep spinning. If God so allows it. If God so permits it, you will get to work tomorrow. If God so allows it, you will go about your job this week and your task and your family. But if God does it, it doesn't happen. He sustains all things. So you piece that together, what we already said, the universe starts with God, it sustains with God, it ends when God says it ends. Jesus is in control at the beginning of the universe. He sustains it all the way through, and all things will be a gift to him in his inheritance. I hope you're beginning to see he is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our worship. We, we go through life stressed, anxious, worried, concerned about tomorrow. All the while, Jesus says, I got this. I got this. I'm in charge. I've been doing this for a lot longer than you've been alive. I got this. Many of you know that we stressed through dropping off our almost two-year-old at daycare this week. Talk about stress and anxiety, preaching this to myself. And I noticed something interesting. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, dropped her off. We stressed the whole time she's there. Friday, it still wasn't smooth, but we, we, Fridays, my, my in-laws are keeping Lydia. And so the transition wasn't great. But you know what happened? Once, once she got to, her, her, to, my, to Amber's parents' house, I, I wasn't worried about Lydia. When she was at this daycare, I'm sure it's a great daycare, I'm sure they're nice, but I just don't know them yet. But I, while, they were, while she was at, at Amber's parents' house, I wasn't like checking my phone, seeing if the daycare was sending me messages. I, I, I wasn't concerned. You know why? Because Lydia has spent so much time with, her, with, with Amber's parents that, that she knows them. And, and Amber's parents love Lydia like their own daughter. I mean, they, they are just great grandparents. They're awesome, awesome grandparents. I trust them. And I know that Lydia trusts them. I, I know that she's okay. Do we treat God with at least that much trust to say, God, you're, you got this. You got this. You're in control. When we look to Jesus and we realize he sustains the whole universe, we, we can trust him. We can trust him. Hebrews 1.3 continues moving from what Jesus does to reminding us of what he did. After making purification for sins, verse 3 continues, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's the fourth trait I want you to see about Jesus this morning and take note of. What Jesus did, he completed our salvation. He completed 
our salvation. What he does is he sustains the universe. But don't forget, this is working because 2,000 years ago, he completed our salvation. Our sins, everything we've ever done wrong, is a stain on us against the holiness of God. We don't like to think of ourselves as sinners because we know somebody worse than us, don't we? We all come quickly. You can probably really fast think of somebody worse than you. But I want to tell you, there's also somebody significantly better than you. Jesus, who was perfectly holy, and that's God's standard. God's standard isn't better than your neighbor, your coworker, than your spouse. It's perfect. And we see that, we'll see this all throughout the old, through, through Hebrews, that in the Old Testament, God permitted a priest to make animal sacrifices for people's sins. So instead of them having to die, an animal died in their place. But all along, we knew that wasn't an even trade. Our sins were a stain against God, so we are unholy. And that's why Jesus came. As we just described, this incredible Jesus, for all, all he has been there at the beginning of of creation. He's going to inherit all things. He sustains everything. Hey, this is, this is an amazing, amazing God. He's God. And that's what makes what he did so incredible. He came and he himself took on our sin. He didn't just send another goat, another sheep, another, another great man. God himself came in the flesh to make purification for our sins. And that was the only way it was possible. That was the only way it was possible. That our sins could be paid for and we could be reconciled to God. A payment had to be made. It was life for life. But if we died for our sins like we deserve, then we'd be separated. We're just done. We paid for it, but now we're done. But Jesus paid for it so we could be in relationship with him. We'll celebrate this next Sunday when we do a baptism. But when Jesus was up on that cross, he took our sins. And when he died and went in the grave, like we'll put somebody down in the waters of baptism, We'll say he, he put the sin in the grave. And when he resurrected on the third day, he forever defeated sin and the grave and the devil and to say, it's done. It's finished. He has defeated death and defeated sin. When he vindicated, he's vindicated when he came out of the grave, he accomplished for us our salvation. He purifies everybody who ever believes in him for salvation. That's what he says. When he, that's what it means. It says he pure, the purification for our sins. So you know what, what's still remaining for Jesus to do to complete our salvation? Nothing. Nothing. You know why I know that? He sat down. He sat down. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. When Jesus sat down, it's a way of saying, done. It's finished. It's accomplished. When Jesus said it is finished on the cross, he had made payment for your sins. No longer was there, for anybody who believes in him, our sins are paid for. When he resurrected and then ascended 40 days later and he sat down, he said, it's done. Salvation is accomplished. Now that salvation is applied to us at the moment of our conversion. And we put our faith in him. We believe in him. But in a very real and true way, my sins were paid for in full 2,000 years before I was even born. God accomplished it for us. And so it is sure, it is finished, it is done. Some people wrestle with the, the assurance of their salvation. And we'll see later in Hebrews that it challenges us uh, to not be going along pretending to be saved if we're not really saved. And the whole book of 1 John is about evidence that we can see in our lives if we are truly saved. And there's a place to, be, to test that to make sure you're not confused. But here's the beautiful thing about our salvation and the assurance we have in Christ. I didn't accomplish my salvation, so I'm not in charge of keeping it. 
If I was in charge of keeping it, I'd have lost it a long time ago. But Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. He purified us. He sat down. It is done. It is finished. I, I, I will look for evidence of my salvation and the fruit of my life, but that's not where my assurance comes from. My assurance comes from the one who's at the right hand of the Father. He's not moving. He's done. It's finished. It's accomplished. And so my place is just as secure with Him. This is Jesus. He's worthy of our praise because the whole universe starts and ends with Him. He's fully God radiating to us. He sustains the universe and He completed our salvation. So it's no surprise to us we get to verse 4 and we read, Having become much superior to the angels, as the name that He has inherited is more excellent than ours. Jesus is better than the Old Testament prophets we saw because He revealed, us himself, revealed God to us. And this shows us how He's better than the angels. Over and over again through the, through the Bible, when, a, when an angel shows up, you know what happens? People cower in fear. Well, you and I probably are, are not tempted to worship angels because we probably haven't seen them. But if you saw one, you would be. Maybe you wouldn't be tempted to worship. You'd just be tempted this thing was going to destroy you because it's so magnificent. And when Hebrews, when the, the book of Hebrews was written, apparently there's a group of people who, who had been studying the angels and, and they were pretty fascinated by them. And he wanted to make sure they got something straight that as incredible as the angels are, Jesus is even greater than that. The whole, there's a whole host of angels, God's angels' armies that we can't see. Uh, one of my favorite stories from, uh, of, the, of the angels is 2 Kings chapter 6, where Elisha, uh, the prophet, the, the, the enemy armies are coming to attack Elisha. And his, Elisha's arm, uh, servant wakes up one early one morning and sees the entire city is surrounded by chariots and horses. And so the servant is frantic, and he goes and wakes up Elijah. And the servant says, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And Elisha said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes to see that he may see. So the Lord opened his eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. There was a host of angels that were there, and they didn't even know it. You and I don't, don't have eyes to see. We don't think about that so many times. So we're not tempted in the same way, maybe. But if we saw it, we would be. But even then, he wants to, the book, the author of Hebrews wants to make sure we know there is no comparison to how great Jesus is. This is what Jesus is like. He's more glorious even than the angels. He's worshiped. He is the Son of God. Angels minister to him. He reigns on the throne. He is unchanging and eternal, and he sits at the right hand of the Father. So whatever else you may be tempted by, whatever else is going on in your life, may, maybe you, angels isn't your thing, but you've got a job, you've got family, you've got things going on. And the book of Hebrews, over and over we'll see, is going to say, above all that, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Will you listen to His voice? Will you follow Him? Will you seek His will above your life? The only way you're going to do that, the only way you're going to hear from Him, hear the voice of God, is by worshiping the Son of God. The band's going to lead us in a song in just a moment, So Will I, that, that we've sung here many times. And uh, as we do that, I just pray that this will be your, your heart. It's gonna sing, we're going to sing about how all of creation is worshiping God. And that's what I want your response to be today. That you'll look to God and say, if everything else you've made here is to worship you, I will too. If you see Jesus for who He is, that's the only, only plausible response to Him is to worship Him. So I'm going to invite the band up and I'm going to close this in prayer and let's worship. Father, we love you and we thank you for sending your son. 
Lord, we admit that it's so easy for us to be more distracted and focused on things that are of far lesser value than you and your son, Jesus Christ. God, in just a, a few verses in this book, we have seen just a glimpse of your majesty, of your glory, that your name is far greater than any angels, that your, your, your glory is shining out for us to see, that you have given us a very true and real picture of who you are in sending your son. You haven't left us silent, uh, in silence, guessing at what you're like. God, you've spoken and you have redeemed us. You've made purification for sins. You've made a way for us to be holy if we'll just trust in you. So Lord, we want to come and lay down before you and say, we are not worthy. You are amazing. And we want to live our lives and worship you today. God, may you accept the, even this song now as just a small, small token of our praise to lift up your name and exalt you for who you are. And I ask this by the powerful, mighty name of Jesus himself. Hey, during our closing song, maybe you want to stand in your seat, stand there at your seat, or come and pray at the altar or pray with me. But I pray that you respond in worship today. Maybe for the first time, if you don't yet know Jesus and you want to worship him, maybe you want to come and talk about that today. But if you do know him, I pray that your heart will be stirred in such a way that you'll glorify him and worship him today. Everybody should stand. Let's sing.